Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. I'm Emily San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please feel free to follow us and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. And of course, if you have any thoughts or comments on what we should cover in a future episode, talk with us on Twitter at at Cisco Champion. Okay, today we are talking about Cisco Secure Firewall. We'll talk about things like use cases, features, implementation, and migration, all the good stuff. We have lots to cover, and we have some of our best champions here to drive an informative conversation. So let's get to it. Let's kick off with introductions. Adam, I'm going to start with you. Who are you? What do you do? Sure. My name is Adam Hollifield. I'm an architect at Insight. I focus on the network security space, uh, so I do a lot of ICE work, a lot of Cisco secure firewall work, uh, pretty much anything in the security space. All right. Mark, so happy you joined us. What do you do? Thank you. What are you doing nowadays? My <laughs> name is Mark Lüscher. I've recently joined AWS as a senior solution architect. I've been working in the security networking space for about 25 years now. So pretty familiar with everything around there. A little bit. All right. Okay, Alex, thank you for being our guest today. Um, can you tell us more about who you are and what you do at Cisco? Sure. Uh, I'm Alex Tadashev. I'm uh, currently a technical marketing engineer with uh, Cisco. Um, came here uh, by courtesy of the source bar acquisition. I've been in security not quite as long as Mark, but almost um, so. I focus on the uh, the firewall, of course, and really even on the, the threat um, side of the firewall. Okay. So, Alex, before the champions kick us off or kick off the conversation, is there any background you can provide on, on this topic? Sure. So, uh, kind of our main topic we want to talk about today is the challenges for uh, deep packet inspection firewalls when it comes to encrypted traffic. So, it's no secret that use of encryption and network communications has been growing over the years and so audit compliance standards as well as the uh, federal executive order in may 2021 have all been you know driving this application development and web server design towards encrypting this traffic both uh, at rest and in transit so these deep packet inspection firewalls of course were widely deployed on most networks however without decryption technologies these devices they become kind of blind to a lot of the traffic they were designed initially to inspect so at the same time, the encryption standards, new ones like TLS 1.3 and, and QUIC, uh, are making decryption, decrypting these connections even more challenging. So now while TLS decryption has been available for some time, uh, Mark can tell us, I think, later on, operational complexities and increased firewall hardware costs have limited widespread deployment. So to address these challenges, Cisco's added several exclusive features to the secure firewall. And by the way, that's just formerly called Firepower, if you're familiar with the, uh, the older name. So one of those is TLS server identity, and that's been available for a couple of years. And this provides application visibility into TLS 1.3 connections. And this is done without decryption. And the focus here is just basically to identify the destination of the traffic, right? For the purpose of policy enforcement, or maybe to decide whether to decrypt it, right? Is it going to a healthcare? Is it going to finance? That became more difficult with TLS 1.3 because of the fact that it encrypts more of that handshake but this feature allows us to do that identify that target you know site without decrypting 
Now, the main one we want to talk about, though, the, I think the most exciting one recently is a, a new uh, technology called the Encrypted Visibility Engine, or we call it EVE for short. So this feature is aimed at providing insight into encrypted connections, again, without the complexity of uh, decryption. So while TLS Server Identity, just mentioned, focuses on the destination server, um, this EVE focuses on the client processes that are initiating that TLS connection. So now while most firewalls can only detect uh, layer three and four properties of such a connection, um, you know, source destination IP and port, EVE is able to fingerprint that client hello to identify the process, the operating system, and the application running on the endpoint, so the one that initiated that connection. So what this does allows firewall administrators to create um, client application-based traffic rules uh, to allow, you know, certain applications block others, right? So big examples I always use, allow Firefox, you know, block Tor, right? Again, for most firewalls, all they see is a layer three, layer four connection, can't tell it's running. But anyway, that's kind of the, uh, the, the, where we want to start, I think. Now, one of the most exciting things we'll get to later on too about EVE is it has the ability to identify and block malicious processes as well. So we'll talk about how that works. I know you guys are dying to hear it. So that's kind of where we're going to start off heading, I think, today. Okay, thanks, Alex, for the overview. So we have been doing TLS decryption for outbound traffic for a while, and there were a lot of limitations, or I wouldn't call it limitation, it's more operational challenges we had to deal with. How, how does Eve make that whole experience easier for the administrators? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Mark, you're, you're absolutely right. I know that uh, you shared before that you've actually had some experience, quite a bit of experience actually you know, doing that in real life. And, you know, talking to customers, we're getting exactly the same feedback, right? Um, I was in services for oh, a good eight years before I came to the business unit here on the, on the, to be a marketing engineer. And, and I did a lot of projects for customers and only a few encryption projects or decryption projects. And most of the time that was inbound, right? That's actually easier to do than outbound. Um, so a lot of excuses are the the reasons we hear people don't do it is like you said, it's it's hard. Well, mainly the main reason people that haven't tried it give us is it's just too expensive as far as the hardware, right? You have to buy all this additional hardware um, to do all this decryption. Uh, but it's also hard, even if you have the hardware, it's operational as you know, quite difficult, right? You're having to do all these exceptions for pins, certificates for um, applications you'll just break if you try to decrypt them or um, sites you shouldn't decrypt again, healthcare, finance, things that a lot of times you, you probably shouldn't be decrypting your your, your employees using those. But uh, what encrypted visibility engine does, and and um, TLS server identity too, but they just allow you to get visibility into that traffic. Now you're not going to get the same deep packet inspection you get out of decrypting, right? So the decryption need is never going to go away, right? And there's sometimes you have to decrypt. You want to see everything about the traffic, but with the Eve you can still get additional insights into what is happening there, right? So, um, and the whole point is, it's just a little switch you flip on the, you know, the policy when you deploy it, the overhead is negligible. I mean, it, we've, we've measured anywhere from zero to like two and a half percent overhead to the connection. So that's, you know, far less than you'll see from actually trying to decrypt that entire connection. So really the main benefit is uh, it's just easy. It's easy, it's low impact on the firewall, low if, or no impact. And you do get visibility now into what process is generating that connection. You can make decisions about whether you want to allow that or even if it's malicious. Thank you.
you know, a big, when we talk about decryption and some of the challenges there, um, mobile devices always come to mind for me too. Um, you know, it's not something, if you have these apps on the phones or at a, at a retail customer with um, Android-based scan, you know, scanner uh, devices for their stores and warehouses, and they had turned on some decryption for their, it was supposed to only be targeted for their, you know, managed Windows computers. Um, but obviously it ended up hitting the, the mobile devices too, and totally, you know, it messed up everything on those, on those mobile devices and the way they do CA trust is yeah, yeah. Those essentially devices. impossible to do any encryption. <laughs> so however much visibility that you're able to get from an environment that's heavy with, you know, Apple or Android mobile devices is always fantastic. Right. Yeah. They do. They tend to do a lot of certificate pinning, right? For mm -hmm. those apps. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah, the mobile device is a real challenge. It actually caught, you know, it ended up catching a security issue because those mobile devices are supposed to be on a separate segment VLAN and the internal network, and they were sharing, you know, subnets with the uh, with the corporate machines. But outside this conversation, of course, but right. just a, just an example use case of one of the challenges behind uh, decryption. So uh, if we talk about let's, I you mentioned some some about the hardware constraints that you know, exists there with uh, uh, traditional decryption. Um, I know the 3100 recently launched um, it, with the new ASICs that are in there. Is there any difference or improvement in that model, both from a true decryption, you know, deep packet inspection standpoint and from the EVE uh, engine? Sure. So, uh, yeah, the, yeah, and EVE doesn't require any of that um, decryption to happen, right? So, but... But the 3100, especially, right? That that is a a new device that was released um, last year, and uh, there's several models of that, and we're actually we've seen quite a bit of demand for it, and and it's from the reasons you mentioned, right? Now it's not um, decrypting TOS traffic that makes that such a compelling use case because that's still something that again a lot of people are shying, <laughs> pretty shy about doing, sure. but. Um, based on what we saw around, of course, the COVID timeframe, I think everybody knows, right? People started working from home. Um, Cisco saw, of course, and everyone did a ton of increase in VPN connections. And so infrastructure that was designed for, you know, 20% of your workforce to work from home is now got 80 or 90 or hundred percent. So we had actually social programs back uh, a couple of years ago to help, um, you know, uh, people expand their VPN capabilities. So one of the things that came out of that is this 3100. So the 3100 is a, uh, it contains advanced features like, of course, it's got crypto acceleration in there. Now that's not new. We've got that pretty much in all our firewalls. We have the Hitrox uh, chips, uh, self-encrypting hard drives, just you know to meet the standards of physical security, uh, FIPS compliance. Um, but it's got this, uh, the flow accelerator technology based on uh, what's called a FPGA, a field programmable gate array. So what this does is uh, even it's again, same Nitrox processor in other uh, devices, but what typically happens is that decryption path has to run through the CPU complex and throw over the PCI bus. And that's a real limiting factor uh, and basically limits the Nitrox from even being able to get to its full capability. So with the 3100, this FPGA is, uh, is used to offload those connections from the PCI uh, bus and CPU complex and basically send that uh, and decrypt that traffic straight to the Nitrox processor. And that that's just used the IPsec VPN. And so 
as a result, the VPN performance on this box is is several times what we're seeing uh, on the other similar type hardware um, that we offered previously. So the bang for buck is is huge, and again, that's why it's been so popular. Um, can't keep them on the shelf, honestly. But lead times are actually pretty short, even even with that. Um, but uh, but it's been IPsec SSL or IPsec not SSL IPsec VPNs that are uh, benefiting from that now. The 3100 uh, doesn't take advantage of that for your typical TLS, you know, encryption, decryption. Um, but we have some other hardware coming down the pike, which, of course, we can't talk about today. Uh, uh, but we expect that will actually um, uh, aid in that as well. So the whole use case for actually decrypting, um, I think the 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 reluctance based on the cost of the hardware is going to go down which may make it more you know uh, appealing in the future it's still going to have operational issues um, of course but again for right now yeah eve eve kind of solves that um at the same time but um the 3100 addresses some other aspects of you know encryption as well got it thanks okay going back to the eve uh uh topic um you know it's tough when you have a uh you have to figure out what you can can not encrypt or decrypt what you can and what you should and should not right mm -hmm. uh there's some certain countries have regulations around what you can and can't decrypt um you know on, on uh, for other customers and geographics it's an you know an ethical issue right for banking or you know healthcare things like that is typically a regulation um but the eve engine gives you that something gives you that visibility to that traffic without having to also do due diligence around you know those uh, can and should not sort of uh decryption right uh, yeah. there a lot of a lot of a lot of customers will purchase a you know uh, a web filtering you know or a reputation license along with this so that they can do categorization and then make decisions on whether or not to encrypt and decrypt so for this visibility you don't, and you don't have to worry about that really. You can still tell what that traffic is and where it's coming from uh, without, you know, having any of those ethical or legal concerns behind yep. some of that. Yeah, because you're not actually looking at the data in the connection, right? We're, we're just trying to profile, um, you know, what made this connection and do we allow it by policy, right? Based on the process. Mm -hmm. Is it evil? Well, if it's, if it's malware, right? So that's what we're trying to determine about this traffic so you can do that without having to you know like i said tear the lid off and look inside and expose all the gory details so question for you alex now you initially mentioned that you have identified some smart technology how to detect that it's a tor browser versus a firefox or chrome browser can you give us a little bit more technical background how that detection and assessment is being done Absolutely, I'd love to. So, um, just back up a second and talk about the TLS protocols, right? So, um, TLS 1.2, uh, client hello, server hello, handshake, certificate exchange, um, all that is in the clear and the certificate, certificate from the server as well. So, uh, if you're trying to identify where the client's going to, if they're going to YouTube or you know Facebook or wherever, even if it's an encrypted site, you can't see the URL. Um, because that's encrypted by the time the URL goes, right? But you can look in the server certificate and see what the uh, subject alternative name or the or the DN is and, and make a determination if you want to be able to go to that site. So now go up to TLS 1.3, encrypt the server uh, uh, certificate as well. So what do we have left? Well, 
we basically have the client hello. Um, and even some of that can sometimes be encrypted. So, but, but things like the, um, the encryption algorithms are, uh, you know, that the, that the client can support, those are not encrypted. So what Eve does, we focus on that client hello. So we look at the client hello and uh, it uh, fingerprints that traffic based on those uh, encryption algorithms that have been the crypto um, suites that have been requested by the client, you know, the order of those, um, which ones are there. Now there's other information around the connection we also use to identify that. So it's not simply just the fingerprint, uh, things like what domain is it going to, some data around the connection. Um, but all that is put together into a fingerprint and then those fingerprints are used to uh, identify the processes now um so that that's it in a nutshell right so it's the client hello that's what we're talking about about outbound traffic and again we can identify uh, you know known applications well-known applications to talk about browsers or you know tor is a good example but again one of the most exciting things about this to me is uh, not just being able to do this from a policy standpoint like um Adam mentioned you can decide whether you want to decrypt, right? Now that we know what the site is or what the client hello is and what the what the process is running on the client, should we decrypt this, um, you know, or should we just block it all together? Um, but we can also uh, identify malicious processes. And uh, how does that work, you ask? <laughs> the way it works is we have, uh, so we have another product called uh, Secure Malware Analytics, and some people might be more familiar with the name ThreatGrid. So that's our sandbox technology right so uh, we send files up to the cloud from our various security products like um, email security appliance can carve files out of email the endpoint product can carve files or just pull files off the endpoint that are they're uh, suspect um, and also we can do that from the firewall as well carve files out of the flows and send those up for analysis so those are detonated uh, in the sandbox and then uh, analyzed and so a lot of those are malicious right so Basically, if they're malicious and they're using a uh, TLS technology, we'll take that fingerprint, and this is where part of that uh, machine learning and continuous uh, education comes up from uh, with Eve. So we'll take those those uh, fingerprints generated and automatically import those into the firewall through the vulnerability database update, which is a periodic update that everyone should be updating their firewalls with. And, uh, and so those are continuously updated with these malware fingerprints. So not only can we now just identify your generic, you know, normal processes running, you'd expect to see, but also identify malicious processes. Pretty exciting. <laughs> sure. uh, you mentioned machine learning now, Alex. How quickly would the firewall react to such a new pattern? Oh, immediately. So the, the delay is really just in between when the, uh, and that's a good, good question too, because um, of course, when the fingerprints generated uh, in the case of secure malware analytics in, in the cloud, um, of course, it has to wait for the next vulnerability database update to get to the firewall, which is something we're working on too, because those can be um, several days apart, right? So we're working on even faster ways to get those fingerprints into the firewall. But a common question I, I get sometimes is there's another feature that has uh, been around for a while with a uh, formerly called StealthWatch product, which um, analyzes you know, all the network traffic or just brings those, that NetFlow data in, right? So in conjunction with some Cisco switches, we have this feature called the encrypted traffic analysis, right? So I've had questions before, how is, is Eve just like encrypted traffic analysis, ETA? And um, it's not because ETA is more of a behavioral around the entire connection. Um, so what that means is by the time the behavior is detected, it's pretty much already happened, right? So 
it's good for determining something bad happened in that connection. It's not good for blocking something bad in that connection. Since Eve does all its evaluations immediately at the client hello, if we have the fingerprint, they can immediately decide right there, hey, let's let's block this connection or let's, you know, let's send an alert for it or whatever you want to do. So yeah, it's the detection is immediate as soon as the fingerprint is is there on the on the device. Thank you. So the going back to the fingerprinting and sending the data to the cloud, um, when you're looking at that, it's the fingerprint data itself that's sent to the cloud. It's not the actual malware. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, just like just like if you're looking for a file, you know, the SHA-256 of the file, right? And you're you're you know, looking just in the hash, right? SHA-256, you know it's going to be that right. file, but we don't need to see the file, yeah. Got it. Okay. I just wanted to confirm that. Mm-hmm. Now, in in uh, in an upcoming release, which I can talk about now because it's almost ready to come out, uh, we're actually going to increase the add more features to that uh, to Eve because I mentioned blocking, right? So Eve's been in the products in seven dot one, I believe it's experimental there, and it came out in seven two as being yeah, you should probably use this seven three. We added some additional features, um, but in the next release, uh, we're actually going to now start actually being able to block that malware. So we kind of been doing the walk before you run thing there, right? Uh, we want to make sure we have good malware fingerprints that we're confident in the scores before we start really giving people the tool allows them to shoot themselves in the foot by blocking traffic, right? So um, so now we're going to allow that. So uh, in the next release, look for the ability to actually block that malware based on a score you decide. You can decide how um, malicious the score is, how high the score is. And again, that's, uh, as usual, the typical trade-off between uh, security and connectivity, right? You want to avoid right. those false positives, but uh, but yeah. So um, you'll be able to block that. You also be able to do things like give uh, feedback to the to the um, uh, app ID team. So if you have a fingerprint that you think is maybe not doing quite what it should, or maybe providing some false positives or not quite high enough confidence on certain processes, you can. Uh, there's a mechanism now. You can just click on it, go to the website, send your feedback, and get that into the the product. So that's. That's really what we need. We need more and more feedback, more and more processes. The more you know, feedback and, and different apps and processes and malware we get into this, the better it is. Got it. So you had mentioned some some about the versions there. So this is available uh, in seven two of Secure Firewall. Correct. Yeah, and, and that's that's both on the Secure Firewall box itself and on the FMC. Um. Like you yes. can't just yes. upgrade the FMC, but use an older version right. of no. That uh, your device okay. has to be at least seven two as well. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, you know there are some features like that where um, yeah, right, you can upgrade not, just the, just the FMC works. and everything works. Right. <laughs> this isn't yeah, one of those. Exactly. Yeah, it does require that intelligence on the device as well. And by the way, it yep, works on any device too. The uh, we talked about thirty one hundred. So any of the current devices, uh, hardwares, uh, and software as well. So the virtual, if it's a cloud based uh, firewall or. Uh, you know, FTDV uh, on running on VMware. Um, it, it's not dependent on any particular hardware to, to work. Got it. Now, one of the other protocols, um, in addition to TLS 1.3 that we hear about is, is Quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what are we looking at for visibility into Quick? On this yeah, so Quick is, uh, it's really part of um, HTTP 3. HTTP 3 kind of um, um, assumes or includes Quick. So, um, just, uh, yeah, I hate to say it, a real quick description if, if someone's not familiar with that. So Quick is a protocol championed by Google, QUIC. It doesn't really stand for anything. It's just, uh, it's not an acronym. Um, but it basically, you know, in a nutshell, and it's simplifying it probably too much, it's TLS or HTTP2 
over UDP. So uh, the transport protocol now is UDP for HTTP3 and Quick versus um, a, you know TCP, which would come to know and love, right? Um, Quick includes automatic encryption. Everything in Quick is is encrypted. Uh, so um, yeah, it's 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 challenging, right? Especially when it comes to uh, any someone with decryption um, uh, requirements, right? So what you have to do today, pretty much block it. If you if you have to decrypt traffic as part of you know requirements for your network, I don't think there's anybody that can decrypt it today. So you basically have to block it. Um, now with secure firewall, you can block it too if you want. You can identify it and block that that protocol, but. Uh, that's the nice thing about Eve. It allows you to see those client processes even inside the Quick protocol. So, if you're using, uh, you know, the Chrome browsers and you know, all the major browsers, Firefox, um, Edge, all those, they they've supported Quick for a while. So, if they're using Quick, uh, you can still identify those client processes. Or, or, in the case which will happen sooner or later, uh, malicious processes using quick will be able to identify those too. So we don't have to just, you know, it's not just a black box to us. We don't have to block it. We can, you can allow it and still get some information, some intelligence around, you know, what is happening in that, that quick connection. So if you, if you have the firewall configured to block quick, what happens in that case, the browser fails back to TLS, whatever to do right. that yep. Yeah, because okay. it's similar to, uh, we didn't go to the TLS server identity um, feature, but that feature basically uh, addresses the TLS 1.3 certificate encryption by making a temporary connection to that same server on TLS 1.2. So in that case, we know that servers are run 1.3, pretty much all run 1.2 as well. So um, it's the same case here, right? If you block Quick uh, right now, I don't think there's anything that exclusively runs Quick um, because that would be bad, right? They would be eliminating uh, a lot of clients from being able to connect to them, especially if the corporation blocks um, Box quick, but yeah, it just fails back. So it's, it's really transparent to the user, um, but that's not going to last forever, right? I mean, just like anything, eventually TLS 1.2 is going to start going away, and you're going to be forced 1.3, and eventually um, HTTP 2 is going to go away. You're going to be forced HTTP 3. So that blocking quick works today, but it's not going to work. Enough. Yeah, right, makes sense. Um, and obviously, the the Eve product and visibility is only available on secure firewall. So there's you know, quite a large customer base out there that still has ASA. So I, I think this is a very compelling reason for that uh, customer base to start migrating to the secure firewall uh, platform to get this additional visibility that they don't get today out of the ASA or, or a third-party firewall. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we've always been encouraging that. But um, at the same time, you know, um, make no mistake, we're going to keep supporting ASA and, and developing sure. it for <laughs> Yeah, and people still want it. So I mean, you get that question all the time. When are you gonna dump ASA? <laughs> well, we have zero plans for that, folks. ASA is gonna be around for as long as people need it. I mean, honestly, why would you dump something that uh, customers like? So, but you're right though. If you want to use, um, take advantage of some of those uh, the newest features and advanced stuff like Eve and uh, visibility, you really need to move up to the, the threat defense platform. Okay. I think we covered everything. But Alex, I'm gonna check in with you. Is is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like? to speak to before we close? No, I don't think so. Um, I think it, we covered it pretty well. I understand the challenges with decryption. Now, again, uh, don't want to downplay it, right? Decryption is still something that's going to be around for a while. We fully support that, TLS 1.2, 1.3. And we even got experimental quick um, decryption in, in some of our early release products, which, you know, 
won't be out for a while, but we are experimenting with that and fully expect to be able to decrypt that as well. So decryption is, you know, still something that's necessary for a lot of folks. And it is the only way to really get that full deep packet inspection, right? So don't, let's not uh, forget that. But, um, but yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, kind of the opposite. The opposite case of what I said yesterday or yesterday earlier in the, in the conversation, you know, there's some customers who some categories where you cannot decrypt and there's some customers and market segments that you must decrypt, you know, yeah. everything, you know, cause you, you know, for defense or whatever mm -hmm. the use case is. So it's still definitely going to be around. Yep. It doesn't, doesn't fully replace, you know, doesn't fully replace full decryption. Right. All right. Well, to our listeners, if you want to continue your learning about today's topic, Feel free to check out the resources we've provided to you in the show notes below. And of course, this is your weekly reminder. You can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening and see you again next week.